Welcome to the 60th QuackCast. I guess mine is not the only QuackCast now. Some comic book guys started a QuackCast this year, poachers. But this is the only award-winning QuackCast. And the only QuackCast that is done by an arrogant, closed-minded tool of the medical-industrial complex. So this one is called Triskaidekaphobia Times 2. It was initially a science-based medicine blog entry. There is germophobia, the fear of germs, or Germans, I suppose, one of the two. Oddly, well, I do not fear most germs. I don't know about Germans. Despite my daily reminders as to how destructive these wee beasties can be, I recognize their limits and my immunologic strengths, and I know I have more to fear from cars or unsaturated fats than I do from E. coli or influenza. Someone in the comments suggested I meant saturated fats, but there's this thing about me and unsaturated fats. You don't want to know the details. There's also a fear of vaccines, the too many, too soon, that is said to be at the heart, or maybe the left atrial appendage, of one of the imaginary problems with vaccines. There are, by my counting, five live attenuated viruses and 21 different antigens in the vaccine schedule by age 6, for a total of 26, or twice 13. For those that fear antigens and viruses, or visit viri, and the plural of Elvis is elvi, so the plural of virus should be elvi, but this makes it triskaidekaphobia times 2. Now, I couldn't figure out what Greek for 26 was, but thanks to Jan Wilhelm Neinhusen, he lets me know that it's isohexophobia. So maybe I should have entitled this isohexophobia. From my perspective, the paltry quantity of antigens children receive from the vaccine schedule are, when compared to the enormity of the antigens in the environment, a rounding error. We are awash in bacteria and fungi and viruses and an enormous number of environmental organisms. I think of each of us like pig pen, but instead of dirt, we are in a cloud of microorganisms. Our immune system, contrary to the opinions of the unimaginative who direct scorn and derision at Dr. Offit, can cope. As discussed, we have the ability to stave off a phenomenal number of organisms that would just as soon use us as the ultimate supersized meal. Of course, it is not all the immune system that keeps these wee beasties away. Being warmer than ambient temperature helps. Understanding disease epidemiology, hygiene, and the PRN Malum Q24H also keeps the doctor away. Hygiene is an interesting two-edged sword. And the rule in medicine, of course, is that no good deed ever goes unpunished. We are cleaner, at least in the urban industrialized West, than most people through most of history. The exposure to a large assortment of environmental filth and germs, with the exception, I suppose, of my 13-year-old son's bedroom, is rare. He has new life forms evolving in the corner, using for an energy source old pop cans and the radiation from Xbox games. But again, I digress. Cleanliness has helped to decrease the spread of contagion both in the community and in the hospital, except for those who do not believe in good hand hygiene and sterile technique. However, the lack of exposure to the background microbiology has a potentially interesting downside. 
Several epidemiologic studies have demonstrated an association between, to put it crudely, increased cleanliness and an increase in asthma. Cleanliness, rather than being next to godliness, is evidently next to autoimmune disease. The New England Journal has a recent article with a similar result. It's entitled, Exposure to Environmental Microorganisms and Childhood Asthma. From my perspective, this link between cleanliness and allergic disease is interesting, but not what I want to focus on. An interesting suggestion of this study is that while you cannot boost the immune system, evidently the immune system needs a good microbial workout to develop to ensure its proper functioning as an adult. Not only is the infant's immune system able to process and react to a mind-boggling number of antigens, unless you think it's too many too soon, apparently it needs to be exposed to these antigens in childhood for optimal function. It looks like the motto, use it or lose it, applies to B-cells as well as biceps. Oh, isn't that clever? You can see why I'm an award-winning podcast. In the New England Journal of Medicine, they surveyed the bedding and dust for microorganisms in the environment of children who live on farms and those who live in an urban environment. They did both microbiology counts and molecular methods to evaluate the number of organisms in the environment. Kids on farms live in a haze of bacteria and fungi at levels far higher than their urban counterparts, and to their benefit. Organisms isolated included, quote, Listeria monocytogenes, Bacillus lichenformis and other Bacillus species, Corinibacterium species, Methylobacterium species, Anthemonas species, Enterobacter species, Pantoea species, and others. Staphylococcus suriae, I think that's named after Tom Cruise's daughter, and other Staphylococcus species, Selenococcus species, Macrococcus species, Bacillus species, you know, some of these bugs I'm trying to pronounce for the first time, Geotelacococcus species and others, Eurotium and Penicillin species, end quote, Boku bacteria and fungi. I no longer feel as bad about the time my son was playing in the dirt, flipped over a rock, and before I could react, he ate the slug he found underneath. He was just exercising his young immune system. The New England Journal study evaluated the microbiology of the inside environment. There is no measurement on the larger outside environmental community of bacteria and fungi, but I would imagine the number of organisms outside the home dwarfed what could be found in the living room and in the bedding of the children. As an accompanying editorial notes, quote, that newborns begin to be colonized by microbes at birth coincidence with a period of rapid development of the immune system in lungs. These symbiotic organisms can be beneficial. Examples include gut bacteria that synthesize vitamin K or pathogenic, and they may have no effect on the host, commensals. The authors propose that microbes found on farms adeptly stimulate innate immune receptors in early life and thereby favor the generation of regulatory C-cells Seashells, seashells by the seashore, no, and thereby favor the generation of regulatory T-cells that promote immunologic tolerance, end quote. They note this result is limited by the fact that, quote, microbial diagnostics providing only a low-resolution picture of microbial identity and diversity, end quote. There are far more wee beasties in and on us than we can currently identify. Farms, I would wager, are filled with far fewer bacteria than the environment in which pre-industrialized humans evolved. Too many 
too soon runs counter as does much of what is understood by anti-vaxxers to reality. When you are young, you can't get enough. The immune system is the Johnny Rocco of the body. You remember that scene from Key Largo? Johnny Rocco. Well, I want Frank McCloud. He wants more antigens, don't you, Rocco? Johnny Rocco. Yeah, that's it. More. That's right. I want more antigens. James Temple. Will you ever get enough? Frank McCloud. Will you, Rocco? Johnny Rocco. Well, I never have. No, I guess I won't. Edward D. Robinson's best role in the movies, playing a young immune system. Everyone knows that Key Largo is a slang term for CD4 cells, right? Anyway, the world is a crowded place at the level of the microorganism, and we have evolved to respond to that crowding from birth. Not just respond, but we need to be exposed to these antigens. Quote, nothing is unnatural, just untried, end quote, said by Rita Mae Brown. It may be argued that vaccines are not natural, whatever natural is. I am the result of natural selection, so I would think everything I do is natural. Infection with a needle is not how bacteria, fungi, and virus get into the body and is therefore unnatural. I suppose this is a group of people who have never had a percutaneous injury with a splinter or a cut from a thorn or a child who did not skin their knee on the dirt. Percutaneous inoculation is a common way to be exposed to environmental antigens just not as safe a way as when sterile technique is used. One would wonder if vaccines, in our ever-so-clean environment, could not only protect against the plagues of the past, but be an antigenic surrogate for our former environmental exposure to microbial squalor. And indeed, that's the case. Quote, Adolescents, having been vaccinated, had a significant lower risk to suffer from asthma or atopic disease than non-vaccinated adolescents, end quote. It didn't matter what vaccine they got, just as long as they got vaccines. None of the above, of course, is rock-solid information when applied to vaccines, but an intriguing curiosity and perhaps hints into disease etiology, but interesting when considering the potential responses of children to vaccines. Too many too soon? I doubt it. Just enough just in time? Maybe. Consider that the receipt of the MMR vaccine on schedule has been associated in the Polish study with a decrease in the risk of autism. I, of course, do not know what causes autism. I had hypothesized that maybe perhaps the MMR protected from the vaccine by protecting the child from neurotropic viruses that would occur in the unvaccinated. But now I wonder. There are articles on autoimmunity and the development of autism. They are way above my head. Although I like to come across as having a godlike omniscience on these podcasts, there's actually huge amounts of stuff I don't know diddly about, and that would be one of them. However, there are those articles on autoimmunity as a factor in autism, and I will have to defer to others on the validity of those studies, but I note them with interest, if not deep understanding. Now, I think all human disease has, at its core, an association with infections. Most of the microbial studies on autism have concerned the use of antibiotics to treat the disease. Autism rates have increased along with the expanded vaccine schedule, not really true, Increased cleanliness, well, probably not really true. Global warming, 
Hmm, maybe that's true. And the decline in pirates. Hmm. The Amish do not get autism. Not really true. They don't live in relatively sterile urban environments. And they do use a horse and buggy for transportation. Now, there must be an association in there somewhere that is actually causal. I don't really know. Probably not. But let's play along at home, shall we? Let us speculate. It would be ironic if someday it was determined that part of the etiology of autism is, like asthma, partly due to our microbial-free environment and subsequent immune dysregulation, and that the vaccines, by supplying a surrogate immune stimulation, are protective for autism. Truly worthy of a medical hypothesis, I admit, but it is amusing to speculate. Someday this science will sort it all out. It is fun to think about the possible ramifications of the current literature. I would certainly not use these speculations as a basis for my practice or develop a therapeutic or preventive intervention with an exclamation mark at the end. Hmm. Or should I? If I could just patent a neonatal and infant probiotic autism prevention supplement, we could call it NIPPAPS with an exclamation mark contain the correct proportion of live and killed naturally occurring environmental bacteria and fungi, there's a fortune to be made. But all I need to do is get rid of my ethics and morals. And so ends QuackCast 60. The real QuackCast, not the poser one. Now that you're done, what do you got to do? You got to go to iTunes and write me glowing reviews. Or go to moremark.squarespace.com and join the growing Mark Chrislip Multimedia Empire, where you can find links to my podcasts, my blogs, and even my book. Because the world needs more Mark Chrislip. Later, guys. Bye.